0: Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we continue our Fantasy Files series with a look at how quarterbacks do without their number one wide receiver. Now, football inherently is an incredibly random game. We have 11 guys on both sides of the field. I mean, baseball is, what, 10 people total on a field at once. Basketball is 10. Hockey, I believe, is ten. Football, we got twenty-two. There's also seventeen game sample sizes, and compared to you know eighty plus games, if you're baseball, hundred sixty plus games a year, we have smaller games, more craziness going on, more chaotic nature. Like just in uh, any given football play, I feel like there's way more possibilities that can happen compared to these other sports. And because of this, we have a ton of instances where correlation doesn't imply causation, but we mistakenly think it does. Basically people for those that, you know, might not be just all that familiar with this principle, just because two things are related doesn't imply that one happens because of the other. I am an excellent world-class fly swatter. And I also eat steak all the time. I'm not an excellent world-class fly swatter because I eat steak all the time, even though those two variables are both going up in the same time. So my fly swatting skills aside, we see this mistake in football a lot when we look at small splits, but with the on off, basically basketball, baseball BVP, even that stuff like is inherently flawed because we're losing again, these small sample sizes where maybe the wide receiver one's gone for a couple of weeks, but is the offensive line also gone? Is the play caller different? There are just so many variables that it's so tough to take one singular item, like a wide receiver being out and putting all that much importance on the quarterback's performance. And one of the main examples that we saw with this last season was when John Brown got sidelined for the Bills. I mean, there was legit concern about whether or not Josh Allen would be able to keep up his pace for the year's final six games. Now, hopefully you listened to this podcast and you heard me explain why this wasn't an issue. He still had plenty of weapons. I mean, we were going off a three game sample size and one of the games where John Brown wasn't there was consisted of Josh Allen dicing up the Rams league best defense. And again, it was just a three game sample. Josh Allen has always been a fancy guy because of his elite pass run volume, taking away his number two receiver despite what, again, this three-game sample says shouldn't have changed your overall decision-making. As we saw, Josh Allen proceeded to score more fantasy points than any other quarterback over the final six games. So, look, I'm not pretending like I'm right in every single one of these, but I do think we're generally better off not putting a ton of stock into these on-off splits unless we have a massive sample. Yes, this includes Baker and OBJ, and I'm going to get to that. The one issue, though, and the one thing I will give some credence to – I kind of can theoretically buy the idea where, you know, it's like Bill Simmons, Ewing uh, theory. And for those that aren't familiar in the nineties, Bill Simmons had a friend that basically theorized the Knicks uh, would be better without Patrick Ewing either out there to begin with, he's injured or when he was taking extended stretches off and foul trouble. And if any of us, you know, any of you have ever played a sport, with, you know, a complete stud athlete. Yes, we want that stud on our team, but you know, everyone knows he's the best player, he or she's the best player. And because of that, they're getting fed the ball more and more. Maybe not your favorite thing to do. You know, if you're a basketball player and you know, you're playing with LeBron James, of course, he's going to get his shots. Of course, the opponents are going to know he gets his shot, but if everyone else is, you know, competent and all of a sudden you take away the best player, I could see how the teamwork would be better. You know, overall optimism would be better from the players knowing that they're now a bigger part of the plan. And again, I think talent wins out more times than not, but I can slightly wrap my head around the idea that taking away a team's best player could at least briefly be a net positive because defenses aren't as sure of what's happening and the overall players in the offense can maybe feel better about their general contributions. So with that in mind, I wanted to go through and just see what what the, what the data says. What do the examples say in present day NFL about quarterbacks missing their number one wide receiver? And just first things first, guys, there are so few examples of this and I'm only, the way I'm breaking this down, the quarterback needs to have played with this wide receiver with him without since they've been together for this to qualify. So I'm not going to, you know, use Dak Prescott's 2016, 2017, first half of 2018 seasons without Amari Cooper compared to him with Amari Cooper. It's just completely different offense. It's completely different years in both players' lives. I don't think that's fair to do it that way. We also need to see a minimum sample of five games. Like again, not much, but I'm just using five games as a way to give us at least a a little more than three, but I understand it's still a small uh, sample size for sure. And because of this, we only see, and for my count, five real examples that we can base this also, because the remaining 27 teams either have a number one receiver that hasn't missed enough games to qualify. We didn't hit that five game threshold, or we have a quarterback that's, you know, a rookie or new enough in town that they don't have, you know, an established number one option to even do this study on. So with that in mind, the five combos I found that we can actually, actually study and maybe get some takeaways from. Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham drew lock and Cortland Sutton Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill Aaron Rodgers and Devante Adams and Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. So with that in mind, I went ahead, found their on-off splits uh, together throughout their career. I took out games where either player played fewer than 20 snaps. So, I mean, just, it didn't count for the quarterback. And if a wide receiver played 15 snaps in a game and got hurt, then I use that as a game without. So that's why you might see uh, you know, slightly different game numbers here in my article than If you only look at, you know, their quote unquote games, even though those don't account for the actual injuries. So, you know, humoring this idea for a little bit, we see some pretty cool takeaways And the first one, as everyone knows, is how much better Baker Mayfield has been without OBJ on the field. 92.8 PFF grade in 2019-2020 without OBJ, 72 PFF passing grade with. Mayfield has averaged an additional 0.6 yards per attempt without OBJ out there. Extra 2% big-time throw rate. Turnover-worthy play rate has gone down from 4.2% with to 1.7% without. We've even seen the adjusted completion rise by nearly 8%. Now, I think I've gotten to the bottom of why this happened, because I just refuse to live in a world where we think Odell Beckham, where we think the Browns are better off with Rashard Higgins, Kaderil Hodge, Donovan Peoples-Jones, than Odell freaking Beckham. And, you know, you can say he hasn't been quite the same guy as the Giants. Nobody was complaining when he was almost single-handedly winning that game against the Cow. I shouldn't say single-handedly. They ran for like 300 yards. OBJ did some amazing things in that Cowboys game. Nobody was complaining when that happened. Put William Jackson on skates in that Bengals game. He was making big plays. We're talking about a top 20 fantasy receiver before he got hurt. But the big difference we saw with Baker with and without Beckham was his willingness to work within the confines of the offense. Mayfield targeted his first read on just 58% of his dropbacks in 22 games with Beckham compared to 63% without him. Only Aaron Rodgers posted a better PFF passing grade than Mayfield when targeting the first read after Beckham was lost for the season uh, in week seven. So when Baker identifies an open receiver and he can use, you know, that howitzer he's got for a right arm, like a few guys are better than him in the league. I think he's gotten in the most trouble when he's tried to force the ball to OBJ. And when he tries to rely on his athleticism to extend the play, it just doesn't work as well as it did at Oklahoma. So I maintain the best version of this Browns offense is with, Baker OBJ working within the confines of the offense. And then when you have a talent like Beckham that can force defenses to shift their coverage, that's when we're going to get the overall, you know, just goodness. That I think this partnership should eventually entail. Now I would just say people for those saying, well, Ian, you just told us that Baker averages 0.6 fewer yards per attempt uh, without OBJ compared to with doesn't that tell us everything we need to know. No, it doesn't. Because again, these are small sample sizes and Patrick Mahomes also averages 0.6 more yards per attempt without Tyreek Hill compared to with. Is anybody out there in their right minds gonna say that Patrick Mahomes is better without Tyreek Hill? Absolutely not. We do see a similar thing than Baker though, where Pat Mahomes turnover worthy play rate has gone down a lot without Tyreek. When you don't have the fastest guy in the field, maybe you are a little more, you know, okay with taking the check down and uh, doing that. So uh, unlike Baker, Mahomes has had a better PFF passing grade with Tyreek we've seen his you know big time throw rate still be pretty awesome with or without him Baker's literally gone from a great quarterback to a mediocre quarterback depending on if OBJ is out there Mahomes has been pretty elite regardless but that difference in the hearts per attempt for that to be the same between OBJ and Hill and you know Mayfield and Mahomes I think tells you all you need to know about being careful with some of these comparisons so in the Mahomes sample size, you know, without Tyreek Hill of seven games with Baker, it's only 10. So please, for the love of God, people, can we put this idea that Baker is better off without OBJ to rest? I understand that's what happened in 2020, but realize correlation doesn't imply causation again there's a lot to do with i don't know Baker starting to learn his third offense in as many years getting more comfortable with it having the best offensive line of his career having stefanski set him up for success having other players around him starting to step up and make great plays like we can't just hang our hat on that one variable and ignore everything else because obviously we're not trying to make that claim for patrick mahomes don't do it for baker mayfield either now these other ones, the Drew Lock Cortland Sutton one is just pretty faulty. I mean, he played the five games with Cortland Sutton in 2019, but in 2020 we had Judy Hamler, and it's, it's just you know it's basically a 2019 versus 2020 comparison for Lock. I don't think it's fair. You know, and it, if you want to go down that road, you can say Drew Lock is technically better without Cortland Sutton because his numbers were better. Again, though, I just don't even think that's a fair comparison because of the sample sizes we're looking with at hand. As we saw in that Steelers game, you know, Cortland Sutton put together one. The best, I think it was a uh, 33 snap seasons uh, we've seen in recent memory. Obviously, we want Corlin Sutton on the field when we can get him there. Uh, the Devonte Adams, Aaron Rodgers one. Again, Aaron Rodgers has actually averaged 0. 0.9 more yards per attempt without Devontae compared to with Devonte since they got together in 2014. This one's a little bit faulty though, because obviously Devonte wasn't really the number one Packers receiver until 2017 at the earliest. And because of that, I mean, like what we're using 2014, 2015 numbers on this guy here. The only one of these that I think might actually be actionable. Moving on to 2021 is Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. As we know, Julio now a member of the Tennessee Titans. This is our largest sample size by far. I mean, our previous, you know, quarterbacks, I mentioned their games without their number one wide receiver, 12, 12, 10, and seven. Matt Ryan has played 27 games with Julio, either out or under, uh, you know, 20, Total snaps, so that's almost a two-season sample size, and he's played 142 games with. Now we see this is the only pairing where the quarterback falls off immensely in every single category without his number one receiver, Matt Ryan. With Julio Jones, had 94.5 passing grade. I mean that is above Mahomes with Tyreek Hill level good. Without Julio Jones, 74.6. That is Baker with OBJ bad. Matt Ryan has averaged 0.8 additional yards per attempt with Julio compared to without his big time throw rate has gone down by 1.5% without Julio. His turnover worthy play rate has gone up 0.6% with Julio, uh, excuse me, without Julio and the just completion percentage has also struggled to stay with uh, you know, at a high level without Julio Jones. So, for Matt Ryan going into 2021, I'm concerned people, I think he has already looked, you know, more like an above average to average quarterback than this world beater ever since Kyle Shanahan left town following that remarkable 2016 season and Looking specifically at 2020, I mean, it was a problem. I know we said, you know, 20 total snaps was my threshold before, but focusing now just on Ryan, if we look at the nine games where Julio was either sidelined or limited to fewer than half of the offensive snaps, I mean, Matt Ryan went... 238 passing yards, one touchdown, one pick, 285 yards with nothing uh, in touchdowns and picks, 226 yards, one interception, 232 yards, two picks, 185 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, 224, one touchdown, three picks, and then he finished the season with some good ones, 356, 30, 300, 2-0, and 265, 2-0. but people, like, again, this is now a 27-game sample size of Matt Ryan being without him far more bad than good, so Matt Ryan, Ryan, does slide in as my QB 15 in the old fantasy ranks. I have him behind Baker, Matthew Stafford, and Ryan Tannehill. I just don't really think he has necessarily the high end pass game volume we're used to. I mean, Arthur Smith coming in would make sense if they get back to run the ball a little more than we've seen in years past. And, you know, yeah, taking away arguably the single best receiver of the past decade, that's going to negatively impact the guy. I feel like, you know, Ryan Tannehill... Has gotten that nice boost from having julio understandably he's going to make that entire offense better i'm not sure if we've regressed on matt ryan as much as we should based on some of these factors because again it's fault it's a little bit faulty analysis you know again it's one variable out of so many on a football field but in this rare case we actually have a large enough sample size to potentially have some takeaways uh, in fantasy land so matt ryan someone that i still have ranked ahead of trey lance and justin fields but i'm wondering if i Even following victim falling victim, excuse me, to what I've complained about on here, which is where we need to separate our fancy projections from our fantasy ranks. Matt Ryan will almost assuredly score more fantasy points than Trey Lance and Justin Fields this year. But who do we want on our fantasy team when week eight comes along? I'm thinking it's the guys running around more, the guys that you know are potentially going to be in better offenses and Trey Lance, I would say likely. And just because Matt Ryan's going to have the benefit of 17 starts under his belt doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to want him for more starts than Lance or fields, even if their overall sample size is smaller. So I need to give another long look at these ranks. He's certainly in that tier. Now I've dropped him down, uh, you know, into that tier with Fitzpatrick, with Lance, with fields and with Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, anyone that does want to take those guys ahead of Matt Ryan, I certainly do not think you're smoking anything too crazy. That's gonna wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. As always, and please, I encourage you if you like getting stuff on the cheap, please check out our Save Forty code over at PFF. You can save forty dollars, forty percent, excuse me, off any PFF subscription uh, to all first-time subscribers. You can get access to PFF's Fantasy Football Draft Guide, complete with our player rankings and projections, College Football Preview Magazine, and the first edition of the 2022 NFL Draft Guide. Don't forget all of PFF's locked article content as well. Again, it's promo code Save Forty for 40% off any PFS subscription. Get access to all the PFS fancy tools for five ninety nine. dollars Thank you again for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. New episodes every single day. we got our team preview series starting uh, today, as you should be listening to this on Friday. I'm going to start going through each division with my guy, Andrew Erickson, up until the year. Obviously, the fantasy files will continue to roll out, and we'll get some Wednesday apps and hopefully more 10 questions uh, with people. I'm out here working hard. I want uh, you all to be as informed as possible ahead of next year and obviously want to have some fun as well. So thanks for listening. I'm Ian Hardison. Until next time, take care, everybody.